Well, good morning. I'm Pastor David Dyer, and it is my distinct honor and pleasure to be with you this morning to proclaim God's Word. And as we finish up this sermon series uh, in uh, Family Chat, today we look at the dedication of the temple. And in reality, just to kind of let you know where we're going, we're going to look at us being rededicated to God. Let's understand our context. Solomon is a rich man. He is a very rich king. If you do a little bit of math, you can figure out, according to Scripture, in a couple chapters after what is our reading this morning, but you can figure out that Solomon brought in one billion four mil, no, sorry, one trillion four million dollars a year in today's money. That's one trillion dollars and an extra four million thrown in. That's what the neighboring countries paid Solomon as tribute. Now, you may be asking exactly what is tribute. Tribute uh, says, hey, you won't wipe us off the face of the earth, and so we'll give you some money. Okay, so, so that's how the nation of Israel, they are now viewed as being the nation, the place to go, the place of riches, the place of sustenance, the place you want to be. And so other nations and other kings are saying, hey, Solomon... Don't wipe us out. You see, he had 4,000 stalls for 12,000 horses and chariots. He made shields out of gold because he could, and every goblet out of gold or silver. All the silverware was completely out of the riches. They said there is so much silver in Israel that people saw it on the ground like stones, meaning they were just simply walking on it. There was so much wealth. And again, this is not what Solomon had asked for. Solomon had asked for wisdom. And so you do, do you know that not only running the nation of Israel being King Solomon's primary job, but there were so many kings from other nations that sought out counsel, that it is said that Solomon barely had time to sleep. Because other nations would come to him and say, hey, I've got this going on in my own country. And King Solomon, who had been given great wisdom by God, was able to answer quickly and move on to the next king, the next nation. This is what we're talking about. This is the context in which we find King Solomon. So at the end of building this new temple, this place that his father, King David, wanted to build, King Solomon, who now sits on the throne, finishes building the temple, and it is so great that they dedicate the temple with tens of thousands of burnt offerings. So hot were the fires that in the outer area where you would burn those sacrifices, the priests had to leave outside the walls because it was so hot you couldn't be near it. This is how big, this is how expansive, this is how incredible is King Solomon's kingdom. Right? Almost overwhelming. It's almost too big to comprehend. I mean, you bring in a trillion dollars a year 
That's not even the taxes off of the people or the merchants. That's just in paid tribute from other nations. We can't even fathom it. But Solomon used that treasury to build an incredible temple. And there, there he said to God, I want to dedicate this space to you. It's not going to be on the screens. For those of you following in your own Bible, 2 Chronicles chapter 6, I'm in verse 14 roughly. For those of you following along, again, 2 Chronicles chapter 6, 14. I just want you to listen And I'm going to kind of give you the short version of the dedication of the temple. Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the whole assembly of Israel and spread out his hands. And he said, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants who continue wholeheartedly in your way. I love how Solomon acknowledges this, right? Who does God keep his covenant with? You just heard it. Who does he keep his covenant with? Those who do what? Those who follow wholeheartedly. So if you're following in a half-hearted manner, does God keep his covenant with you? The quick answer is no. He does not have to. There are times he chooses to. If you're just kind of going through the motions with the covenant that God has with you. Does God say, hey, I'm I'm with you all the way? No, he says he keeps his covenant with those who are wholeheartedly following, wholeheartedly in. That means in all the way. It means 100% at the foot of the cross. This is where you are 100% of the time. Go ahead, just go ahead and just, uh, who's joining me that we're here? I mean, right here, your pastor is absolutely 100% of the time, wholeheartedly. Anybody with me? Anyone? No one. 99%, 99%, your whole nearly wholeheartedly, 90%, nine out of, nine, thank you, a couple of you are there, I appreciate it, I mean, I wish you were up with me at 100%, so, I mean, some of you are not even buying this at all, you're wise, see, some of this study from Solomon is rubbing off on you, I'm not at 100%, There's no one at 100%. But I want you to understand something. The way the Hebrews understand wholeheartedly is in which direction is your heart pointed? It's either pointed, and we say as New Testament Christians, at the cross, or as the Hebrews would say, it's pointed towards God. So either your heart is pointed towards God or it's not. See, it's either 100% or it's zero. I just want you to understand that. To be wholeheartedly in devotion of God means that your whole heart is there. You are bought in. doesn't mean you get it all right. doesn't mean you're perfect. It means that's the direction your heart is turned. And Solomon acknowledges this. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants, who continue wholeheartedly in your way. See, it's God's way. Now, I want you to do an honest assessment of yourself today. Am I wholeheartedly leaning, inclined, all in towards God? Because if I'm not, 
I'm wondering if that isn't the reason for many of the challenges in your life. Because we're going to see what happens when you're not wholeheartedly in devotion to God. He says in 16, Now, Lord God of Israel, keep your servant David, my father, keep for your servant David, my father, the promises you made to him. You shall never fail to have someone sit on the throne. What he's saying is, I'm number two. I hope the blessing still sits here. Without him realizing it, I want you to know he refers to Jesus, who is of the line and lineage of David and who will ultimately sit on the throne. Verse 18, but will God really dwell on earth with men? I love this question. Solomon very quickly goes, now wait a minute. I know we've built this beautiful building, but in reality, we have to ask the question, God, are you going to choose to dwell here? May your eyes be open towards this temple day and night, this place of which you said you would put your name there. Do you want to know where the temple is today? Go ahead, take your right hand. Place it over your heart. This is where the temple is. Because the temple is where God is. And God says, I will make my dwelling with men in their hearts. This is exactly where the name of God resides. You have the name of God. You have God living in your heart. This is where Jesus lives. This is the huge New Testament blessing of what the temple was for the Old Testament. God said, you, you want to find me? You can find me right here. I love it because many times in our life, right, haven't we yelled out to God, where are you? Where have you been? Why have you left me? Why have you forsaken me? Why are you not here? Why are you not fixing? Why are you not healing? Why are you not defending haven't we asked that of God? Haven't there been plenty of times where we have wondered where is God in all of this? Let me tell you something. God hasn't gone anywhere. He's been here the whole time. If you don't hear God, it's because your ears are closed, not that he's not talking. If you're not feeling God's presence, it's because you're hardened to his love and forgiveness. You see, this falls on us. This is what Solomon is talking about. God, are you really going to choose to be here? And God goes, yeah, I'm going to be here. Verse 22, when a man wrongs his neighbor and is required to take an oath that he comes and swears the oath before your altar, then hear from heaven and act. When a man wrongs his neighbor, God act. I want you, I'm going to tell you the end of this. God goes, okay. Why? Because your heart's inclined towards me. I know that you have the right motives. I know that you're wanting a good relationship between you and your neighbor. So if there's a problem between you and your neighbor, yeah, I'll act. I'll be judge. I will. And yet, we live... Far from a perfect system, right? I mean, we go to the courts all the time, and the courts are not always right. I happened to share my little DMV story a couple weeks ago. It's been going around, I hear, a little bit. 
Our IT director said, yeah, I, I've had a similar story. I went in and they said my license was canceled. I said, I know, the indignity. He said, well, I found out that there had been an arrest warrant out for me, and I didn't do it. And later on, the courts found out they were, that I was right. They were wrong. I didn't do it. They'd put the wrong person's name. So see, right? I mean, it, it can come. It can get you. He said, and then another time. I said, there's another time? I was arrested, pulled over. They just said, put your hands on the car, and they put the cuffs on me, and I went away, and I said, Dad, bring me home. And he said, no, you can stay the night, and on and on. I said, there was a next time. I'm still back at there was a next time. And he said, and can you believe it? It was wrong, too. So I'm not saying that our court systems are perfect. What I'm saying is this. God's justice will prevail. After all, I got three brand new IDs from the DMV this week. <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about, go listen to more sermons back. Verse 24, when your people Israel have been defeated by an enemy because they sinned against you, would you hear from heaven and forgive their sin? You know what God says? Yes. Verse 26, when the heavens are shut up and there's no rain because your people have sinned against you. And when they pray and they turn their hearts back, would you hear from heaven and forgive and teach them the right way to live? And God says, yes, I will. And in verse 28, when famine or plague comes to the land or blight or mildew or locusts or grasshoppers, will you hear, will you forgive? Hear from heaven forgive and deal with each man according to all he does. And God says, yes, I will. And for the foreigner, verse 32, who does not belong to your people Israel, but who comes from a distant land because of your great name, right? They've heard of your greatness and they come here. Will you hear them? Will you hear their prayers? God says, yes. Even the foreigner, even those outside the kingdom, I will hear and I'll forgive. And Solomon says in verse 36, and when they sin against you, God, for there is no one who does not sin. And when you become angry with them and give them over to their enemy, will you hear them if they turn and ask for forgiveness? And God says, yes, I will. Do you understand what it means to have a God who is going to be in our presence. This is why Solomon dedicates the temple and says, man, it is so great that here, God, we find you. And where do we find God now but in his holy word? So that's the great part of all of this is that what we find is that God God is able to be found. He's been here all along. What he asks of us is, where is your heart? Is it inclined here? So this is the family chat part. This is where it gets hard to hear. Is your heart inclined towards God? 
I mean, is your day oriented towards God? Or, or if you're busy in the morning, do you go, well, God, it was, it was a, a great thought I had with my schedule to, to read your word this morning and to pray, but I'm so busy, I need to get an extra start on it. And so how about just a quick blessing, thanks, and I'll be on my way. Is God an afterthought or is he the main thought? Because I'm pretty sure if we've just been reading and listening to God's word, that if God is the main thought, then our schedules reflect it. Our finances reflect it. I mean, there should be no question that we're giving to God in, in the abundance in which he has given to us. There should be no question. It's not even a, a guilty feeling or a guilty, hey, offering plate, awesome, bring the offering plate. Or man, you know what? We signed up, we give online, it comes out every week. Of course it is, because our heart is in complete devotion of God. Of course we give. And our schedules. <laughs> oh boy. What are we teaching our kids? Teaching them to be busy. I've asked them. Study more. Do more sports. Build that resume. Pastor Dyer, you don't understand. It's a lot of money and a lot of energy to get into college. No, I know. Spent 13 years of myself there. I know. What are we teaching? We're teaching our kids that our schedules are supposed to be busy from the moment they get up until they go to bed. And that's maybe squeezing everything in it. We teach our kids that having dinner together as a family is not important. It's just a function. We teach our kids that going to church every other Sunday, it's okay. Well, it's winter. I mean, we've got to get in some ski days somehow. Well, it's summer. We've got to get in some hike days somewhere. Well, it's fall. We've got to go see the colors change at some point. I mean, we've got an excuse for everything. I wonder if God goes, really? You think your heart's inclined towards me? I just don't see it. You're sold out for me? I don't hear it. You say you worship only me? I don't feel it. So in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 11, see it here. When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and had succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and his own place, the Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. And when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. 
I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. And as for you, if you walk before me as David your father did and do all I command and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne as I covenanted with David your father when I said, you shall never fail to have a man to rule over Israel. But if you turn, if you turn away and forsake the decrees and commands I have given you and go off and serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot Israel from the land which I have given them and will reject this temple I have consecrated for my name. I will make it a byword and an object of ridicule among the peoples. And though this temple is now so imposing, all who pass by will be appalled and say, why has the Lord done such a thing to this land and to this temple? And people will answer, because they have forsaken the Lord, the God of their fathers. I know this feels heavy. It's meant to because it's meant to wake us up. It's meant to say, hey, are we in this thing all in or not? Is our heart inclined toward God or not? There's no halfway. Jesus warns in the book of Revelation, if you are lukewarm, meaning you're half in, half out, I will spit you out out of my mouth. This is not the response we want. This is not the response we want to give to God is what I mean. God deserves our best. He deserves excellence. He deserves otherworldliness, meaning we're not of this world, we're in it. Some of you wonder, you know, um, I'm kind of cool with the new space and sounds good and there, you know, some visual things. Can you, can you explain to me the smoke? Because it's otherworldly, because it's ethereal, because it reminds us that when we look upon the throne room of God, we don't even know what God looks like, but the train of his robe fills the temple. He is so eminent that it fills the space in which he is located. Wow, seems very tricky. Seems like a concert. It should seem like a concert. Do you not understand this is our best for our incredible God? Our praise, honor, and glory to him who is above all? And yes, we want to remove you from your everyday life, unless you got a smoke machine that turns on when you enter the front door. (laughs) I'm home. See, some of y'all are going to try it, I know. Where can I get one of those? I'm looking it up on the phone right now. We don't do it to impress you. We do it to set the mood of an impressive God. This is worthy of our best. So I'm going to ask something of you. 
Lent is a time when the church historically has taken on new church uh, or new godly disciplines. Where it is exercised and said, you know what, I want to try something new. I want to I try something different. Here's my ask. That you dedicate the next six weeks to be here. To be here in God's house of worship for the next six weeks. You don't miss a week. Pastor, I, I, we've got a tournament. You skip the tournament. But I'm a coach. Get an assistant. You don't understand. It doesn't work that way. But I know. I'm asking for your wholehearted dedication to the kingdom of God for the next six weeks because we haven't been doing it. You say, wow, no, our family's here every week. Awesome. What are you going to then do? What are you going to do that's new? Are you going to commit to having family devotions at dinner every night of the week this week for the next six weeks? Our food bill's going to go up. No, it's not. Your eating out food bill is going to go down. Your spending time together is going to go through the roof. Your prayer life together is going to go through the roof. Your reading God's word and being in line with the will of God is going to go through the roof. And do you not think that the kingdom of God will expand greatly because you are completely sold out for God for six weeks? We're going to join a life group. Why? Because we need to be fellowshipping with other people and get to know the people we worship with. And if I can't join a life group, then I'm going to do a daily devotion. Why? Because I don't do daily devotions right now. And so Pastor Dyer has written you a six-week daily devotion. It's just a devotional thought. It's four typed lines on a sheet of paper. Yes, there's a section of Scripture to read. I've even written out the prayer for you. And our sermon series, the next six weeks is on the Gospel of Luke, where God himself in Jesus Christ says, come to the table. Table in your house, the table in a neighborhood, the table wherever God has set it up. Come to the altar, the table where Jesus himself gives of his body and blood, and where he introduces to you the table in Revelation where he says we will celebrate on the last day. I'm telling you, you don't want to miss the next six weeks. Will you commit? Will you make it a priority to be here and worship with your family? That you will give of your time, your talents, and your treasure. Uh, Miss, Miss Chris uh, Bonzer from Volunteers, right? She should have no problem filling all of the volunteer roles because you guys have said for the next six weeks, we are in. And the calendars... <laughs> They should have no, I mean, they should be overwhelmed when counting the offering over the next six weeks. Why? Because we're all in. And we should be fighting, yes, I mean, in a Christian way for parking spots, to get in. I'm asking. I'm asking. I'm not going to sit there and go, well, they made five out of six, four out of six, one out of six. It's not my job, it's between you and God. But I'm asking as your spiritual head, as your shepherd, to rededicate your life the next six weeks to God. Let's bow our heads.
God, it may seem insurmountable to some of us that we would ever commit six weeks in a row to you. Because we have made other things in this world our God. The game schedule, the practice schedule, the school schedule, the workout schedule. It all is more important than you, God, forgive us. And we try to justify everything we do. Well, but we're a Christian making an impact into the world. Yeah, I know, but, but God, we've, we make an impact, but our witness is weak because they don't see us in church. And so God, forgive us. And where we have been unfaithful with our giving, forgive us. And where we have been unfaithful with volunteering our time, forgive us. And where we have been unfaithful to our spouse because we have loved another with our time, forgive us. And Father, where we have made work our God, forgive us. where we have spent time in frivolous activities that do not expand your kingdom, forgive us. And when we have complained about some aspect of our church or our leadership in an ungodly way, forgive us. And when we have not lived a life of righteousness that would, that would be a good thing for your name, where, where people have looked at us and just simply shook their heads and said, hypocrite, forgive us. God, we dedicate this church to you. Not the building, the people. We dedicate what comes from our mouths to you and may what is said bring joy to your heart. God, we dedicate our time, our schedules, our vehicles, our houses, and our homes to you. And if that means inviting people over we don't want to talk to because you want to love on them through us, then so be it. God, pour out your blessing in abundance in this place. God, we thank you that you do meet us here. And we thank you for the blessing of Jesus Christ in our lives. May his grace and forgiveness overwhelm us to the extent that we share that love, that grace, and that forgiveness with every person with whom we come in contact. Father, you alone can make a change in this community through us, but change our hearts first. And in so doing, may we be turned back to you and fully dedicated in all that we do and say. For it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.